0: Hello, my name is Caitlin, and I'm a student at St. Lawrence University. Welcome to NetConnect, a show where I interview St. Lawrence alumni and give students the opportunity to learn more about networking and hear from alumni across multiple fields while giving alumni a platform to share their stories and advice. St. Lawrence has the number four ranked alumni network in America, so join me as I tap into this amazing family.
1: Awesome. Well, yeah. Thanks for uh, having me on the podcast. I am uh, actually really excited.
0: Yeah. Thank you so much for coming and for sending that list of names. That was that was so helpful. Honestly.
1: Oh yeah. Of course. I I think it's like a great idea. Like without getting too much into like what we're going to be discussing in the podcast, I think that like people that like are self starters and like motivate and like do things that they don't have to, especially in college is like a very good like indicator of who's going to be successful, like throughout their life. I think that like, this is a great idea because like, not only does this give you like a expanding your network and like, giving you an awesome talking point in interviews it's also giving like current and like former students good advice and I think that like me and my peers who have been there and done it to some degree can probably give more advice than the guy who graduated in 1980 and uh, you know whatever
0: no I'm glad you think it's a good idea because that's definitely what I'm going for and I definitely want to help students so I'm glad that uh you're doing this
1: yeah no thank you it's great i'm sure that when you've graduated hopefully you keep it going and somebody else can pick up the mantle and keep it going because i think it's a great it's a great way to connect you know current students with uh, alum
0: yeah for sure so um maybe i can just start off with the little bio you wrote up um just a uh, find out more about you and then we can start the questions yep all right so dan abrams graduated SLU in 2019 with a major in economics and a minor in statistics. Throughout his time at SLU, he was a sector head and treasurer in the investment club, an economics tutor, and studied abroad in London. He currently lives and works in Terrytown, New York, at RT Specialty as a broker's assistant while studying for his property and casualty license. He enjoys spending time outdoors, collecting watches, hanging out with his cat, and nights out on the Lower East Side. Hi, Caitlin. <laughs> that's Dan. yeah
1: yeah. Yeah. (laughs) there's a little more but that kind of hit all the the high level stuff
0: yeah (laughs) so I'm gonna try something new for my for this episode and start off with like a fun question just kind of get the ball rolling so if you could have any celebrity be your best friend which celebrity would it be and why
1: this is a this is a really tough question you know there there are a lot of great (laughs) celebrities um, I think personally, I would probably have to say Jonah Hill. Um, okay. I mean, A, he's been so many iconic characters. He's, fa- he's a fantastic actor and director. Um, I really like his style. He's very in the fashion. Um, he's very, very stylish. And he also seems like a very down to earth person that like you could actually get to know and it wouldn't be like quite superficial. Like I'm sure a lot of other celebrities are.
0: Yeah, that's, that's good reasoning. I like that, I like that. <laughs> I thought that um, one through. <laughs> yeah, I know, out of all the questions, I was like, I feel like this might be the one to think about the most.
1: It is the hardest.
0: <laughs> um, So my first kind of like serious question. Um, I've been asking all my interviewees this, but just kind of about their career path and what it looked like after SLU and how that led them to their current role So I'd love to hear the same from you. And also has the SLU alumni network helped you in any way along the way?
1: Yeah, so to to start off, um, I guess I'll start with like probably senior year. Um, So senior year I graduated and I did not have a a full-time job offer. Um, So I went back to my summer job, which I think a lot of people do, which is a very good option. So that was working as a teacher's assistant and like kind of an admin secretary at, a, at an occupational therapy company. So like I was working mainly in classrooms of like pre-K classrooms with developmentally dis, uh, delayed children, um, doing all sorts of stuff there. So that was kind of my fallback where I was able to go and work while networking and applying for other jobs. Um, so I think, I mean, that that's kind of the beginning of the, the start. And I, I know that, a lot of some kids have jobs, obviously coming out of senior year, but I think the vast majority don't, and mm-hmm. it's it can be kind of reassuring to hear that the, your life doesn't end there. Like you can find something, and there's always going to be more time. Yeah. So when I was doing that work and applying for other jobs, I was just interviewing places and um, all kinds of things, mainly in the New York City area. Then I got my first offer from Hamlin Williams, which is a recruiting company down in New York City. And I was interviewing a few other places at the time, but that was the only offer I had and the others were all very preliminary. So I just decided to take a leap of faith and take it because I figured who knows when the next one's going to come. At least it gives you a starting, a starting base. Now, I, I think this experience we can probably get into a little later in the interview because there's a lot to unpack there. But I think long story short, recruiting wasn't for me personally, but it is, it definitely gave me a good background of, and a good skill set and the, the ability to springboard into my current job. So some things happened, which, we'll, which we can discuss later. Um, and then I, I found myself looking for a new role. And I kind of fell into this job at RT Specialty where I am now. Um, Through a connection, i had heard that they were hiring for an assistant, and they were really just looking to bring somebody on. They didn't care if they didn't have any insurance background, because I didn't, but mainly somebody that would just come in, learn, work hard, and that they could kind of build up. Um, So I found myself in that position. I had a couple other opportunities on the table. I could have gone to another recruitment company. I had an offer to go to UBS Wealth Management, but I ultimately decided on RT specialty. Now, my, my story and career, career trajectory, while I didn't have any like, SLU alumni offer me a job or give me a job, but I, I certainly spoke to SLU alumni to get their advice and just like, to see, you know, kind of what their sense of the market was, kind of what their sense of certain industries would be, and uh, just kind of what their jobs were like. And that certainly helped me kind of narrow down what I wanted to do and what I didn't want to do. So in that sense, I found the SLU alumni network to be very helpful. Um, I saw a statistic a a few years ago, but I think you're you're much more likely to get a job from a common acquaintance than from a friend or a really good friend. And I think it's kind of the same thing with the SLU alumni. You're probably not going to get a job offer from another SLU alum, but you can definitely take from their knowledge and their advice and kind of run with it. And that's certainly what I did.
0: Yeah, no, definitely. Even just in the first couple episodes I've done in this, like Just hearing from alumni like from a bunch of different fields like it helps me figure out like what i like what i don't like (laughs) so it's it's definitely a big help even if they don't directly help you get a job exactly it's
1: all in it's it's indirect i mean yeah (laughs) everything everything is so transactional now and everybody they apply and they want to get the interview and they want to get the job and we have a great alumni network but I think something that St. Lawrence doesn't necessarily prepare students for the best is being self-starting and being proactive and following up, just because I think the university gives so much to the kids and puts all the opportunities really in your face if you're looking, whereas in the real world, that's just not going to happen. Um, and you can't, you can't rely on SLU or the St. Lawrence network, but you know it, it's very powerful, and there's certainly a lot to be gleaned from there especially if you, you're not just applying for jobs that school alums work in or are hiring for.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so yeah, this, this kind of leads into my next question, but since you were class of 2019, you definitely have more experience finding that kind of first job that every college kid is like thinking about all the time. So do you have any advice for students in landing their first job after graduation? I know you kind of said like, you know, it's, it's okay to not have one lined up right away, but do you have any like specific tips?
1: Yeah, definitely. So I think, I think I'll start, I mean, if you really want to have a job before you graduate, like that's great, but you really have to hustle for it. And from my experience, um, it seems like there are two really common paths to getting a job before you graduate. And the first is going to be having an internship that extends the full-time offer which is pretty popular on Wall Street or in Silicon Valley. So you're certainly going to see kids that have situations like that. Um, but that's not that's not going to be for that's not going to be everybody. I mean you can be an excellent intern but the team just didn't have a great year. I mean especially with COVID, the yeah. world kind of turned upside down and they go from having 10 spots to two spots. And that's not anything to do with you, but it's just kind of the reality. And then the other one is just hustling and sending your resume out to as many places as possible when you're in, uh, when you're at SLU or really after SLU. Uh, That's kind of, that's kind of the base level of advice. Um, I know that sometimes it feels like you're just chucking your resume into the void when you're applying for these jobs and internships, but at some point, you just have to do it. And you kind of have to play the numbers game. At some point, somebody's going to see your resume and see that you're a competent person. And then hopefully get you on the phone and hear you speak and say, oh, okay, well, they seem like a good person and they know what's going on. Yeah. So I would say, I would say being proactive, something that I've seen successful people do are check the same job boards every day, because there's only so many changes, especially if you know, like what you want to do, like the industry or the area, because that way, you're seeing the fresh job postings. And I can tell you that as a, as a former recruiter, the the first 10 applicants are going to, are probably all going to get seen by the hiring manager or the recruiter. Whereas if you're the hundredth profile in, they've probably already found like 15 good people and they're just not even going to take the time to read your resume, even if you have a better background than all of them. Um, So, I mean, timing is definitely an element. Um, I'm happy to get into like actual like specific like interview advice as well. Um, But I think before we get into that, I would also say having a very clear and concise uh, resume, I think is very important. You want people to just be able to look down and get a very high level overview of you and your background in less than a minute. Um, That would be my goal for any resume is every bullet point, every job or experience have about three bullet points that are about two lines each that just kind of cut right to the heart of what you did and show like actionable stuff. Like for example, you're doing this podcast, something like you could say when you're on your resume, spoke. I have had interviewed like 20, like 30 alumni, like you quantified what you've done and you've shown that you acted on it. Like I followed up with people, like I created interview plans, like all, all that kind of stuff. And that's kind of also a little room where you can, not lie, but somewhat embellish your experience and make it, make it sound better than it is. Because I think also partially, like people tend to look down on their own experiences when there usually is a lot of great stuff there. But I mean, humans were pretty self-deprecating in nature. So unless you're like very confident and have a huge ego, you're probably going to think that what you did in the past wasn't that significant when it really is. So I think that can also be a good time to help you kind of like sit back and understand that you have done good things in the past just because it's not like an internship at Morgan Stanley or what like the most prestigious thing that you can find doesn't mean that there's not value in that. Um, And same thing I would say with the cover letter, which I know is big too, you just kind of want a cohesive story. You know, career services is great. This is something that they're great at, I think, is giving advice on uh, cover letters and reading over resumes. I think they're quite good. They have very good templates. Um, Really just getting eyes and feedback from them. And then I think just while you're at SLU, maximize career services because (laughs) they work for you. And I know so many people that never set foot in career services and probably couldn't tell me any names. I know off the top of my head, Sarah Coburn and Beth Larrabee are both amazing. I can't think of the others off the top of my head, but those two specifically, I found to be very helpful throughout my years. And that, like, they really want you to succeed and they will put opportunities in front of you. You just have to have your eyes open to, to see them and then act on them. So I think, I think that's really kind of the gets to the heart of it. Um, but I'll, I'll let, I'll let you comment. Cause I'm sure you have some thoughts.
0: Yeah, no, I'm so glad you, uh, you mentioned that like taking advantage of career services cause they are so, so helpful. I've already had a couple like resume appointments with them um, because coming out of high school, like my resume was way too long and just had all these like meaningless things on there and they really helped me like kind of cut it down and, market myself like kind of like you were talking about and also the fact that you said like quantify kind of your accomplishments is is so smart because um i'm actually in a marketing internship right now and they always talk about how much like people are drawn to numbers and that just like makes it stand out way more
1: it's a data-driven world um and it's yeah. it's kind of crazy because the world is changing so much right now and i think that we're kind of really on the cusp right now i mean let alone the work the work from home and everything that that's going to bring but i i think it's safe to say that you're i mean you're a sophomore right mm-hmm. you're going to be graduating into a completely different world than today likely um and then from what yeah. i graduated in from what the person that today graduated in Um, it's just, it's gonna, you can't really predict what's going to happen, but you can do the same, like right fundamental steps to put yourself in a position to succeed. And I think the fact that you're a sophomore and you already are meeting with career services, I was personally the same way where I think freshman year, I didn't do too much, but sophomore year, I really kind of hit the the ground hard with them. And I, I really don't think there is any time that's too early to go in and introduce yourself and just kind of start to see what their resources are. Because I heard so absolutely so many kids, especially in senior year, complain that career services didn't do enough for them, and you know I didn't want to say it to their faces, but you kind of wonder, well, what what did you do to to put yourself in a position where they would be giving you opportunities or giving you help? So I think really just being proactive, um, and then I think the hardest part too is you can do all these things, like you can be proactive, you can work on your resume. You can network with people, you can you can apply to the jobs, and you're still going to get nothing, or you're going to get rejected, and you're going to get rejected a hundred times. And it's so demoralizing because you know that you're putting in the right steps, but you, you don't see the fruits of your labor. And I think a lot of people get really discouraged by that, whereas it's kind of the reality. Like I said, to some degree, it's a numbers game. Like how many places can you get your resume out to how many alumni can you speak to just like to some degree, you know, it's not, it's not easy and you just kind of have to be really resilient and keep pounding the pounding the ground when it comes to that. And That's, I would, I would recommend that just don't give up. Like you're going to take some knocks. Like I had interviews that I was in the interview. I was like, I just bombed this interview. Didn't get the offer. It's like, I gave, I gave a terrible answer to a question. Like I could see the interviewers kind of looking at each other. Like what, why are we even interviewing this guy?
0: (laughs) Uh, It happens. You learn from those, those bad ones though, for sure.
1: Definitely. And then there'll be more bad ones. Trust me, there, there will be, but then eventually you'll get to a point where you're just kind of not on autopilot, but you know what to do to a certain degree. And we can, uh, we can get into the interview stuff more specifically later on, because that's kind of its own whole own can of worms. But just to get there in the first place, you really just kind of have to hit the ground running and uh, keep running no matter how many times you fall yeah. down.
0: Just, just keep swimming. <laughs>
1: yeah, exactly. Great reference. <laughs>
0: Um, so I know that you're, you're an econ major, which I know is a super popular major at SLU. Um, and I'm sure any econ majors listening would love to hear more just about your current role and kind of what things you normally do at work.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I'm in, I would say kind of a unique role. I didn't even know that this kind of segment of the industry existed until I heard about the job. So I would, (laughs) I would also advise people to keep an open mind and uh, at least have conversations before you decide what you want to do and what you don't want to do. Um, (laughs) RT specialty is a wholesale insurance brokerage. Now I don't want to like bore anybody. It's kind of, it's kind of technical, but basically like you have a regular insurance agent right who goes out they get business they place policies they get commission on that business now that regular agent they might have somebody come to them with a risk that they just don't have the expertise or the the markets they don't have contracts with insurance companies to place that business they just they're just unable to do it and they'll lose out on that business to a competitor so instead they contract with us a wholesale brokerage and they'll send the submission to us. So we don't work with the insured. We work directly with retail agents. So they'll send us the submission and then we have to review it, kind of see what's going on, which markets are going to consider it, what's going to be a fit, like what the current pricing is, all these factors. And then we go out to the market to our insurance companies that we're contracted with and we, we market it around to them. And we, we, it's negotiating with the retail agents. It's negotiating with the underwriters, um, and then to uh, uh, at the end of the day, you get a competitive quote that hopefully the insured binds, and us and the retail agent split the commission from the from the agency or from that from the insurance company. I hope I hope that all makes sense. I know there's kind of a lot going on. Um, <laughs> So, in, in my day-to-day, I kind of function as an account executive, I think would probably be the, the closest term. So, I mean, everything I just said, like re, like retail agents will send me submissions, I'll review them with my boss, we'll kind of discuss where it's going to go. Then we send it off to the insurance companies. They have always a bunch of questions. Normally, we have questions, too, that like we have to kind of get through. Um, and then it, that process happens. Eventually, they'll quote and then they'll, they'll bind the quote so we get paid, which is great. But then we have to go in and we have to review the policy to make sure everything's correct. If they request endorsements, we have to re- do the endorsements. Sometimes it could be adding buildings and like there, there's, there's a lot that goes into it. Um, answering, que- answering policy questions. Mm-hmm. Um, here, I actually, I think I wrote notes of like everything I had to do on one day. So I was following up with people to see if we were binding accounts, following up for endorsements, checking quotes, um, releasing endorsements, releasing quotes, reviewing renewal uh, apps for renewal accounts, Uh, speaking with underwriters. We've been having some accounting issues recently on several accounts, which have uh, not been too fun. We are not accountants yet. (laughs) Sometimes that that falls on us. Um, Putting together loss analyses so sometimes like, well, so our office specifically works on com- like habitational and commercial real estate. So like huge apartment buildings in New York city to like schedules of like condominiums in, um like Chicago. So the other day we got a schedule that was, it's like four or five different condominiums and each condo has like 30 buildings. So there's like 120 buildings that all have like their own individual like Values and stuff and then they they were all on separate policies. So there are a million different loss runs that we have to get together and then send to the carrier and then like go in and analyze what the losses are how it's been trending, what the premiums been. So I mean, a lot of it is just kind of digging in and doing some administrative work that is not the most fun to be perfectly honest, but is (laughs) it's quite I find it to be quite interesting, especially when you're working on some of these like large buildings in Manhattan. Um, to to my favorite part which is kind of doing business development and just talking to people like picking up the phone speaking to underwriters getting their sense of an account and then going back to the picking up the phone and calling the retail agent and we're kind of we walk the tightrope that's in the middle of these two parties um so uh, there are conflicts there's kicking and screaming you have to be able to take a few punches um but it's I find it to be an interesting job. I, I hope that was a good explanation. I, I I struggle to explain what I do to people. <laughs> it's not the most <laughs> that, intuitive.
0: That seemed that seemed good. I think I know. I have a good idea of of what you do. It sounds like you get to try a lot of different stuff, which is that's definitely kind of something I'm interested in. Because I don't want to have a job where like I only do one thing every single day.
1: Exactly. No two days are the same. I I can I can say that. You never you never know what's going to happen. Some days are you just put your head down and you look up and it's been like 10, 11 hours. they are kind of like, oh, okay. Yeah. Whereas other days, other days are a little more relaxed, um, which I can say, but you're always doing different things. And there are always going to be different issues coming up and different questions coming up. So you have to be very nimble. You have to be very organized, uh, found, um, and you have to be able to prioritize Because I mean, there, it's quite often where you'll get five emails at the same time for five urgent items that all take a little bit of time to get together, where you have to sit down and pull up three different documents and just like kind of read through them and like check each other and even go into the system, see what emails were sent like five years ago. I mean, sometimes it's as simple as that, just like going through correspondence on accounts, like going back years to see what was given, what was said, what wasn't, um, So it does, I know that I'm probably not selling it too well. It doesn't sound like it's that fun, but I find it, I find it quite interesting.
0: That's good though. That's all that matters. If, if you love it, then, (laughs) um, so wait, okay. So you said you were an investment club, right? Yep. So are you, are you like into the stock market? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah,
1: obviously it's been a, it's been a volatile period. Um, (laughs) I can. I mean, I, I. definitely used to be more involved, um, especially with like cryptocurrencies. Mm-hmm. Now, I, I think uh, unless you're working in capital markets, and then they they regulate like what, how, like frequently you can trade. Um, I don't have those restrictions because uh, I don't. I work in insurance, not finance. But it's not worth the time. I found at this point, <laughs> it just it. takes it's it's partially the time because anybody can check this like the, the stocks on your app, but it's also partially the stress. Like, I uh, there's enough going on at work that like I don't need to be personally involved in like the GameStop saga. Uh. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, I wanted to hear your opinion on that because like a lot of people have been saying that like the Reddit forums and everything and just social media in general kind of makes it like it gives it gives investors too much power to kind of control the market. And everybody's talking about cryptocurrency now and NFTs. So do you think that's kind of where like the market's going?
1: Oh gosh, all right. Well, I'm, I'm gonna start with the GameStop and then cryptos and NFTs like in their own like world. Um, <laughs> so I, I think on the, on the the stock market side, it's funny. I've actually been aware of Wall Street Bets for a few years now. And I've been kind of casually browsing that subreddit just for, uh, for fun. Um, and you know, I think it certainly raises some questions. Um, I think, I think the biggest issue is that I think it gives some people some kind of unrealistic expectations of what investing is actually like. Um, mm-hmm. and it's, it's quite easy to see these guys post that they just made like 300 K off of a $1,000 investment. But then you see the guy who's down like $6 million who put all his money on like soybean futures. Um, <laughs> so there's, it's it's a double-edged sword and the community kind of props both of it up by like reveling in the gains and the losses um it's it's interesting i don't think they have too much power i mean when you look at like the environment that the markets existed in with particularly the hedge funds and their market manipulating ability i think it's kind of a double standard to turn around and say that the retail traders have too much power i mean there's a video of jim kramer in like two thousand eight, two thousand nine, explaining how his hedge fund was illegally manipulating the the stock market, and he's I think he's been trying to scrub that from the uh, from the internet, but I've seen it come up a few times. I think it's eight or nine minutes. Um, I would highly recommend that people that listening to this listen to it. Um, it was kind of quite insightful. But I mean, you look, I personally I think that these institutional investors have an insane amount of power, and they always have, and now their power is being challenged by some weird got people that are just sitting on Reddit all day. And, uh, so by living in their parents' basement. So yeah. I mean, power to them, but I, I was not involved in that, in that rate personally.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I feel like everybody is just like, after COVID happened, every everyone was just buying in. And even if they like really don't know what they're doing <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, especially. I mean, there's also a large chunk of people that are probably younger in college or are living with their parents that got stimulus checks, and that was like a thousand four hundred dollars initially, or I think oh, it was a thousand two hundred was the first one, where they could just instantly put that into the stock market. They didn't really have to invest their own money. I mean, it was their money, but like they just yeah. you know they, you get it, you know you and you you uh you put it in. So, you know, I I think good for them. we're gonna. We're going to see the world evolve, I think, pretty rapidly on that front over the next decade. I have no idea what it's going to look like. One yeah. um, of the cryptocurrencies and NFTs, I guess I'll start with the NFTs. Like, they are so crazy. I'm still kind of trying to understand what they are. Like, yeah, I understand <laughs> like, It's you own the original file of something that's, like, obviously disseminated and copied. I think it's a really cool idea. Um, I've seen, especially in the pandemic, all these niche hobbies have really picked up but i think like card collecting is a really good example because i've seen people that i follow start investing in pokemon cards and like baseball cards and their their portfolios have gone up significantly like there's there is a value in the the original copies of things but those are physical assets i'm not i'm not sure i'm sold on the on the <laughs> nfts yet yeah um, no i
0: was, I was watching, what are your thoughts on them i was watching a youtube video about it and they gave an example of like An NFT is like, you know, like a bunch of people go to see the Mona Lisa in person and they take a photo of it on their phone and like the photo of it on their phone is the Mona Lisa, but they don't own the actual Mona Lisa that's sitting right there. But yeah, I agree. Like, I I feel like people can just like screenshot something and then it's like, oh, here it is. (laughs) But yeah, there's definitely...
1: I guess it's like the psychological value of knowing that you own the original yeah. I people spend their money in weird ways. So <laughs> you never, you never know. I mean, I'm, I'm sure that there are some, some Arab sheiks that have millions of dollars of NFTs of probably like, who knows what, you know, and, and good for them, but it's definitely an interesting emerging market that is going to be fascinating to see where it pans out. Cryptocurrencies, I personally see as the future. Um, I've been Bitcoin has been on my radar really since it was a thing in like 2010 2011. I actually had some back in the day and cashed out when it uh, when it hit into the hundreds. Um, and I, I look obviously real stupid right now, but. <laughs> You can't. I, I can't remember the principle, um, uh, the, the economic principle. But I would have never held until it was twenty thousand. You know, I, I bought it when it was ten dollars, sold it at like three hundred. When that thing hit a thousand dollars, I would have freaked out and sold it. You know, um. So I, I don't want to look back, but I think that there is value in a in a decentralized currency that governments don't have power over. Um, I'm not sure if you're aware of what's happening in Myanmar right now. But the, uh, the military over there just uh, had a coup against the civilian government. And now they are just, the military is killing people in the streets. Um, oh, wow. In the United States, we had like January 6th, people tried to overthrow the election and kill our elected uh, representatives. I don't think the world is coming to an end today or tomorrow, but I certainly think that there is a lot of value in a currency that the United States does not have any authority over, or the European Union, or, or China, or Russia, or any of these powers. I think there is power in that. Um, so I'm, I'm personally a fan of cryptocurrencies. Ideologically, it kind of backs my worldview. And I think that we're going to continue to see Bitcoin and Ethereum and other derivatives and other coins shoot up.
0: Yeah, it's super interesting Like to think about kind of how society would change if that did become like the main currency.
1: Yeah, there are some hurdles, though. I mean, specifically with Bitcoin, it just has such a high transaction cost that it really doesn't make sense to use it for small transactions. I just saw an article this morning actually talking about the, the impact of Bit, uh, Bitcoin on climate change because it has such a large greenhouse impact. Um, it takes so much power. I mean, when you look at where the Bitcoin mining facilities are, there are some actually in upstate New York in the North country. I think they opened one in Messina a few years ago. Oh, really? But it's in Iceland. Yeah, there, there is one in Messina. Um, but most of them are in places like Iceland, where it's just winter all the time because it's so cold and it's just a lot cheaper to keep the computers cold. Because, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the AC costs alone, if you were going to have that anywhere that's somewhat temperate, because um, take, it takes so much computing power but that's where things like Bitcoin Cash and Ethereum can come in. But, you know, people have to be careful because it's like, it's like the stock market. Like Dave Portnoy is like, oh, Davey Day Trader, stocks go up, you know, buy stocks. Hypothetically, but there are going to be people that are going to get burned. And things like the Dogecoin, there are these pump and dumps where people, influencers or whoever it is, gets a bunch of people to buy into the coin that they already have a position in they drive the price up 10 cents and then that person exits their position having made 10 cents a coin and then everybody else is left holding the bag yeah. so i would anybody listening to this i would i'd would do your due diligence if it sounds too good to be true it, it definitely is too good to be true and I would <laughs> stick to the vanilla cryptocurrencies that are uh, a little more legitimate than dogecoin that's just yeah. what
0: I'm <laughs> i heard too that like if you get if like if you forget your password then you're screwed like you can't get back into your account
1: yeah there's somebody there's somebody that has i think 200 million worth of bitcoin i think i'm not sure but i think i have maybe like 0.5 of a coin sitting in some wallet but i i can't remember the email that i used this was like 2013 i have no idea i've tried to find it but It's not worth it's like trading. It's just not worth the stress. You know, money is important. We live because of money. We can live because of money, but it's not everything. And it's not it's (laughs) you have to find peace somewhere and money will not give that to you.
0: Yeah, (laughs) definitely. Um, okay, so my next question is how has COVID nineteen impacted your professional life and how did you adapt? And have the challenges of COVID in the past year kind of
1: helped you grow at all? Yeah. um, So this is actually a little interesting. So I started this role a year ago, um, almost a year ago now. And obviously a year ago, the world kind of turned on its head. Um, I was actually in the office for three whole days in this entire year. I've been physically in person. I was, I was living in Brooklyn at the time um, with my girlfriend and another roommate. Mm
0: -hmm. And
1: my, on the Friday my boss texted me and he said, you know you don't have to come into work like you can just work remotely if you want and I wasn't worried about myself I was worried about them I was going through Union Square and then to Grand Central and it was you know a whole a whole commute um, so I mean really most of my my time working in this job has been remote except for those those three days um and yeah. you know I it's it's easy for some people like for us I found that it was quite easy actually um, because everything we do is online for the most part and if we need to communicate, we can just text teams or pick up the phone and call each other. Mm. Um, So there, there have obviously been some times where it is, it's like, it would be beneficial to be sitting together in an office physically looking at something. But for the most part, our office transitioned quite easily. I think if anything, the tough part was coming on and knowing nothing about insurance and then just being like, okay, great. Like now you're just working remotely and like you barely know your coworkers or kind of what the dynamic of the office is or really kind of what your job is. Um, so I really, I had to feel it out. Um, and that's, that's kind of a tough thing to do. Uh, I think my recruiting experience definitely helped, helped me like through that process. So I was in a good position where I kind of just kept learning Figuring out what I should be doing, what I shouldn't be doing, and then how I can do certain things better. Um, You know, I think that COVID, it's definitely made me have to, um, like, just be a self-starter. I'm not necessarily the biggest self-starter uh I, I would much prefer to work on projects that have already started and i kind of have a foothold on and starting something completely new um whereas in covid when you're just kind of sitting alone in an in a, in a apartment in brooklyn at the time which was miserable i don't recommend that if you're working from home <laughs> don't move to the city but uh i mean if you're if you're going to be in the office be in the city it's the best but um but it's, it was, it was just very, it was tough too. And it's, it was very mentally draining as well. I mean, particularly in the beginning of the pandemic when it felt like I was in East Williamsburg, which is um, a quite industrial area of Brooklyn. And we would go outside for a walk and you would see like two people the entire walk and they would have all these masks on. It really felt like we were in some kind of dystopian future. Yeah. And um, felt just very isolated. I love my girlfriend, but like at some point, like, you're interacting with one person for like months on end. Yeah. You're just you're kind of going a little stir crazy. Um, so, I mean, luckily we were able to move out. We, we're we both from upstate New York, the capital region. So we we went out for the summer and then we moved to Terrytown, which is where my office actually is. Um, and she'll be commuting to Grand Central when things are back to normal. She's remote as well for now. Um, but yeah no honestly it was it was tough but i was in a very good position where i had a very good team that was like really dedicated to helping me and helping me be a contributing member of the team
0: yeah where
1: covid i mean really there are people that had it a lot worse i can i can say i can say that in other industries where it was nowhere near as easy so i've definitely been quite privileged that covid actually has not been that bad for me professionally and actually in terms of like the market has been I hesitate to say good for us, but it's, it's been absolutely crazy because all the insurance premiums are skyrocketing. Mm-hmm. And when the, when the premiums are higher, the commission is higher, you know, 10, yeah. <laughs> the, 10, the 7.5, whatever the percentage is, you know, the percentages don't change with the figures deal.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: so I, I can say we weren't hit too hard by COVID thankfully, but it's, I mean, look it's challenging and it's going to be even more challenging for the kids that are going to be working for people that work remotely or are going to have to be interviewing like this over zoom because yeah it's it's not the same it's, it's just not the same
0: yeah no i my my inner my internship is for this spring semester because i'm home because of covid um and the whole interview process and everything was all over video chat and it was it was so just like interesting i don't know i feel like almost i was less nervous because it's just like i'm kind of on my computer not like going into this office and like sitting down in a room and stuff but it's definitely been interesting and i think i think like the technology has helped so much to kind of the transition like i can't imagine if this happened like like before we had all this technology things would would have been so much worse even a decade ago, I mean, we have, we, I mean, I work off of a virtual laptop, Citrix.
1: Um, you might've heard of the company. And like the other day, our server was, or my specific server wasn't working and everything was lagging and I couldn't do anything all morning. And I was going nuts. I'm like working off my cell phone. I can only get into email. Um, it was, it was not too fun, but yeah, I, I can't, I can't imagine. And I think, I think the hard part about, especially interviewing virtually is you have to work that much harder to get your personality across because whereas when you're in person, it's, it's so much easier to pick up on like facial cues and, and tone. Whereas when you're doing it virtually, you kind of have to work overdrive to make yourself come off as like a, a human being. and not a robot. Um, But yeah, no, kudos to you. I mean, look, it is, it is tough. It's tough to get an internship, especially in, in this environment. And uh, I mean, if you found a place that's, that's great, you know, but uh it's a lot of kids are going to definitely be struggling with that. I think over the next couple of years, I would be guessing, especially as firms. I mean, you have to remember too, is that it takes a lot of resources for a firm to have an intern or to bring on a new employee because they have to dedicate time to training you or bringing you on and making sure that you're doing tasks that are, that are appropriate for you. And that's taking away from the people that are really kind of doing the, like the not the hard work, but like the, the main people, you know, so it's, yeah. uh, it'll be an interesting environment.
0: Yeah, for sure. Um, I, this wasn't my next question, but it kind of fits here better. Do you want to kind of get into the interview stuff a little bit more?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I guess, I guess the first thing would be, which is like not interview advice at all, but if you're going to be interviewing virtually, I would recommend making sure if possible that the camera is like above you so you're not on like an even level with it or you're not like looking down on it. Because mm-hmm. I've found I tried to I didn't do a great job, but I like I stack some books like <laughs> that to uh to make it kind of seem a little better. Because it's just I like if I duck down, like it just you kind of get more of a sense of a person, and you don't feel like you have to look directly at the camera. And it's not like that your face is the entire screen. You kind of have a, a backdrop behind you, or ideally a white wall.
0: Mm-hmm. Um, so that, that like would be the like plant. I like the plant in your background. That's nice. <laughs> and,
1: this is like my uh, my working remote plan. I like bump my head into it all the time. Uh, <laughs> gotta love it. Um, so I think in terms of like actually interviewing though, like regardless of whether it's in person or virtually, I think one of the most important things is tone matching. Um, like you're depending on the company, the person interviewing you, everybody's different and everybody wants to work with a human. That would be like one of my biggest pieces. People don't want to work with robots. Like, I'm sure there's always going to be somebody who can do something better than you. But if they can't communicate as well or be as personable as you, then there's a good chance that you'll get the job and they won't just because they would the people would rather work with you, you know, they want to work with nice people. Yeah. So and I think a big part of that is tone matching. You obviously want to be very, you want to be formal, and you want to be composed and professional. But, you know, if, if somebody like starts, if they make a joke, like, you can laugh, and you can follow up on it, and, like, make a comment on it, or, or make a joke. Or later on, if it's, if, it, if, it's, if it's not appropriate, make a joke then, you know? I think I think that's very important. I think I think a lot of the times people get kind of stuck into that formal mentality, where they kind of have to answer the question and be so professional and buttoned up. I think especially now things are just becoming a little less formal uh obviously varying on the industry to industry but uh, overall i think i think tone matching is very big and obviously you don't want to be too casual (laughs) even if even if the interviewer comes in and is very casual i would still recommend being composed and professional but you know just kind of like letting yourself smile and laugh and uh just kind of banter a little bit i think that's really important yeah um I would also recommend, I think another big thing is knowing your interviewer's background, if possible. I know sometimes you don't know who's going to interview you. um, But most of the time you do, you have an idea or they'll give you a name and you can just look them up on LinkedIn and you can see where they went to school, um, what they're like, what stuff. Sometimes, I mean, it's just as basic as that. They went to this school. um, And it just kind of gives you an idea of who you're going to be talking to. and, And you're not necessarily going to work it into the conversation. But if you have a shared experience, you certainly should. Um, I mean, I studied abroad in London and there were times where I interviewed with, uh, with the recruiting agency, that, like a lot of people were British. And I was like, oh, well, I actually studied abroad in London. And then we kind of like talked about like the UK for 10 minutes and not <laughs> even about the interview, um, which helps. Um, yeah. And then I guess yeah. kind of off of that too, is if you can find commonalities between you and your interviewer, I would definitely mention it. When I was interviewing for this job, by my boss's office, I saw that he had a, a poster of a skier. I was like, oh, I was like, you like skiing? Like, I like to ski too. And then, you know, it's, it's not, it doesn't have to be anything big, but it's just kind of those like little footholds that make them remember you a little more and just kind of help you come off as more of a person. Um, mm-hmm. I think another big thing is situational questions. Like your people, and I think they're the hardest. They're going to ask, tell me about a time that you failed. Like, tell me about a story. You know, those I think are are really hard questions because it it forces you to kind of look back and introspectively kind of analyze what you've done right and what you've done wrong and being prepared for those and being prepared for a wide range of those. Um, this is this is an area where I think that you can certainly do a little bit of embellishment where if you want to you know make something seem a little more grandiose or make something kind of fit into their question a little better you should totally do it but you need to be prepared for the wide range of questions and I'm sure that there are templates for that online because I think other I think other types of questions we're like, oh well like 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 how do you work in a team? You know, like you can an, you can answer that kind of off the cuff, say, okay, yeah, well like I'm very collaborative and I like to I like to work independently, but I like to go back and have a team that I'm like reviewing stuff, you know, like that. Like, you can answer that off the cuff, but if yeah. they say, okay, so tell me about a time you were in a group and something didn't go right and you had to fix it, and, like, yeah. and you're sitting in the interview, and like, you, like they, the interviewer can see the gears turning in your head, and that's yeah. not what you want to be. <laughs> yeah,
0: and you know that they can see the gears turning,
1: which <laughs> just makes it even worse. Exactly. You you know exactly that the gears are going to be turned they, they, they can see it. Yeah. Um, And then another, another huge, huge, huge thing is asking good questions of the interviewers. Um, I think so often I found, I found, I ran into that pitfall where I had a, it was a, it was like a two hour interview and it was three different people. It was like junior people in the business, the managers, and then HR. And I was just, I forgot that HR was going to be involved. So I had questions for the first two people. And then the HR people came in and they kind of give me their spiel, ask a couple of questions, whatever. They say, oh, do you have any questions for us? And I kind of sat there and my jaw hit the floor. And I was like, I have no, I, I in, the, in the moment, because that's another thing in the moment when you're stressed and your endorphins are going and like you're in fight or flight mode in fight mode interviewing, <laughs> that's the best time for you to go back and start thinking about things and about how you're going to sound. Yeah. So having good questions prepared is going to be big. So I, I like like what, what are the short term and long term plans for this team? That's a good one because it talks about the team. What are your expectations for the person in this role? What what are traits that, that somebody that would be successful in this role um, would have? What what was the last person like what was the last person in this role? What are they doing now? What did they do well? What did they not do well? Um, I think especially with HR or the hiring manager, asking what the next steps are, I think is a a good question to kind of end things off. And then another good question is like, why do you work there? I mean, or why do you like, like working there? And I think that some of these questions, like, you have to have the mentality too that while they're interviewing you, you're also interviewing them. Like, do you want to work there? And these, these are like all good questions. I know that I've spoken to people that they asked the person why they, why they like working there. And the person was like, oh, like the product we work on is so cool. And they just kept talking about the product. They've been talking about the entire interview. And the person was kind of like, okay, well, they like the technology, which is great but they didn't say anything about the work environment. Like, like what, so what, what does that, you know, like it's, it's kind of those things that you can pick up on. Um, I, think, I think really kind of having that mentality that the interview is going both ways and that even if you bomb it, it's not the end of the world and there's gonna be more interviews is kind of the right mentality to, to go and, you know, just being prepared. And that's like, like I've said at the beginning, You're going to do the right things and you're still not going to get the job. You're not going to go to the next round, but you're going to learn every interview. So and I would take every interview, even if you get an interview from a spot, you know, you would never work there. You don't want to work there. Take the interview because, A, you might change your mind when you actually speak to the people. Or B, it's just good experience and it's good practice for when you are going into the interview for the job you want you say, okay, well, I've answered these hard questions. I've been through the three-hour interview before. You know, like, at some point, you run the gauntlet so many times that you're just going to be intrinsically prepared for it.
0: That was really good advice. <laughs> I love that you gave um, specific examples of, like, questions to ask, too. I feel like that would be so helpful for anyone listening.
1: Yeah, I know Career, career Services is pretty good about that, too. I think like, and, and again, I one more piece of advice is like, don't do it by yourself. Like, especially when you're at SLU, like you have career services, you have friends, you have your parents, like you have whoever it is that can look over your resume or look over your cover letter, or they can be like, okay, like ask me a few questions or pretend you're an interviewer, you know, like it takes a little effort on your part to go out and seek it. But I think that's kind of the theme of what I'm saying is that. If you really want to be successful, you're gonna to have to put in effort, and you're gonna to have to fail, and just learn from it. And that—that's just kind of life. <laughs> and, uh, <Yeah. laughs> and just know that you're not doing it alone; that you do need help at some level.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I just have a couple questions left that are more kind of about Slu specifically. Um, so, do you have any favorite classes or professors from St. Lawrence that you recommend?
1: Yeah, definitely. Um, so I have to start. My favorite professor is Tom Green. Um, he no longer, I, he might teach in the fall now. He's semi-retired. And I think if COVID permitting, he's going to teach the London Abroad program in 2022. Okay. That's where I had him. He was a, he was the director of the London program when I was there. Him and his wife, Mila, she's actually, she taught the most students in SLU professor history. She was a psych teacher um, and she's now retired. They are the most wonderful people that give so much for into their class, and especially, I mean, being in London like is one thing, but just genuinely great people that are very, very passionate about what they do and what they teach. Um, and they, I, I love Tom Green and Mila. Like, they are the best. If you, I obviously studying abroad is not something simple. Like, it is very costly. There is certainly like, it, I'm not assuming that everybody can do it because not everybody can. But if you have the opportunity, I highly recommend trying to study abroad with Tom Green, if you can. And it was one of the most foundational periods of my life, I, I can say. Um, now, I would say, actually, in the, in the government department, um, Dr. Grace Wong, I think, is also fantastic. Um, she takes comparative politics, or she teaches comparative politics, which I took as a senior, like the, the freshman intro level course and it actually made me wish that I still had a few years left at Slew so I could take some more courses with her. And I, I don't, I'm not a government person. Um, I found that her material was very engaging and I just thought that she was an excellent teacher. Um, I cannot recommend her enough. Um, and then the econ department, you know, I have to say my favorite professor, they, they fired my senior year. Oh, um, no. Yeah, he was, he, he worked at, I think he was at Lehman Brothers when they, when they collapsed, he was really the only econ professor that had like actual Wall Street experience. And he was, he was a fascinating guy. He would always see him outside of, um, what's the econ building name? Is it Hepburn? Yeah. Hepburn. He would always be outside Hepburn smoking cigarettes, um, Be like a cigarette break during class. He'd give you all the, all the questions to the test beforehand, and then randomly pick the questions but that meant that you really had to know the answers because like he was judging them and grading them very harshly. Um, he was fantastic. I think right now in the econ department, I would take classes with Dr. Yang, um, Guan Yi Yang. He, is, um, he got his PhD from Ohio State. Um, he was a freshman incoming teacher when I was a senior. So I, I tutored some of the students and I took, yeah, I took, I took a class with them and he's very smart. Um, He's a tough teacher, but you're going to learn a lot from him. And I think that, uh, I think that that's what the SLU econ department needs a little bit more on the, on the technical side. And I think that he has a very strong technical foundation that also ties it into a kind of a more holistic, like, okay, like let's sit down and talk about it and not do math all day (laughs) approach. Uh, But yeah, I highly recommend him as well.
0: Awesome. A lot of of good uh, names there. It's too bad. Like, a lot of them are retired, but I'll definitely check out that professor you mentioned, because I'm, I'm, I'm thinking of majoring in business and liberal arts, which is a lot of econ classes, so.
1: Yep. Yeah, Dr. Doctor Yang and Dr. Huang are definitely two of the best that SLU has to offer. Um, and then if you have the opportunity to study abroad in London in 2022, I, yeah. I highly recommend it. <laughs> how, was,
0: how was that anyway? study abroad like I'm definitely interested in that but haven't even really thought about it with COVID and everything right now.
1: Yeah it's that that's the thing is, is, is it can happen. Um, I, I it was I mean my girlfriend studied abroad too. She did London this semester before me and that was actually how we met at Tom Green's house um, senior year. He had like a party for both um, semesters that he brought and we met there. Oh, cool. um, but it's, it's such a formative experience. I found just being like on the other side of the, not the world, but across the Atlantic from your family, it's like, it's a, it's a big, it's a big change and you're alone for four months with a bunch of other kids from SLU. You really kind of have to find out who you are as a person. Um, and you really, you grow a lot, you know, you're kind of independent for the first time in a big city. You mm-hmm. can drink legally because the drinking age is 18 there. So like <laughs> you crazy clubs and the bars. I know we certainly did. Um, <laughs> There, there are also great teachers there um i fa- i mean i think the classes in the london curriculum are some of the best that i took at slu actually and some of the professors i mean dr andreas staub he teaches at slu and berkeley and he runs a consultancy where he helps countries get into the european union um and he's like and he's one of the teachers over there he's a very interesting guy great class um Yeah, I mean, like I said, studying abroad is not for everybody. It's very costly. There's a lot that goes into it, but I highly recommend the London program.
0: That's awesome. Yeah, I think if I were to go abroad, I would definitely consider London or, like, Denmark.
1: I've heard good things about Denmark as well. I'm a little biased. London is, like, the New York City of (laughs) Europe, and you you can get anywhere. (laughs) But, I mean, I think studying abroad in general is good.
0: Yeah, definitely. Um, Okay, so what advice do you have for students who are looking to just kind of expand their networking skills?
1: I think the the first thing I would say is be on top of Career Services, because Career Services I know organizes all kinds of networking events um, that you just kind of have to see the email and register for, um, which I mean, how easier could it get? You just put your name in a document. Um, So I, I would recommend looking at that first then I mean it depends on what you're looking for if you just want to like talk to like random people just to see like what they do and like you have no idea what you want to do I think that's probably going to be the best method and then once you start talking to people like school so alums like we, we talk you know like we're, we're still friends so like we'll give you referrals to other alums um, I think so for the more enterprising people that are like really trying to be proactive I would reach out to people directly on LinkedIn um, on LinkedIn. You can search by like company and like by area. So say like, for example, I know some kid, like they want to go to work at Morgan Stanley, you know, um, I would, I would go and I would just like hang all the people at Morgan Stanley at SLU and probably only like one or two of them will get back to you because they're really busy. But you know, that, that one or two person people, like they could give you some really good advice. Um, I'm trying to think, I know that, The one woman, um, Jackie Sylvie, she's like a year or two older than me. She is, uh, she's an associate at Morgan Stanley. And I know she was in the investment club and she had it where she was going, she was driving to New York city from SLU every Thursday night for coffee with people on Friday and then driving back Saturday morning every weekend. And she did that for like maybe longer than a semester, which is, I mean, A, ridiculous, like an insane amount of travel. B, not a lot of people have access to that kind of travel. I mean, you have to have a car and it's pretty expensive to drive up and down. I mean, gas gas alone. I mean, you should see what the tolls are like driving in New York City. It's like every time I cross the JFK bridge, it's like 20 bucks, (laughs) but it's, 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 it's tough. And she wasn't just meeting with SLU alums, she was meeting with anybody that would get her coffee. And I don't think it was a SLU alum that ended up getting her the foot in the door there. It was somebody random that she met. So I think first thing I would say is start with your SLU network. But then branch out because, you know, the world is a lot bigger than St. Lawrence, um, particularly like in the alumni world, like, I mean, people go off to grad school or, you know, people do all kinds of things and you're you're not going to be just working with two alums, like you're going to be working with a diverse uh, group of people most likely. So I think just getting used to reaching out to people on LinkedIn and like being super proactive about following up, I think following up is the biggest thing, like you speak to somebody and I wish I had done this. I do it now in my business development for work. I have an Excel sheet of like people that I've reached out to and like what the last point of contact was. Like I left them a voicemail, like did X, did Y, you know? And like, even maybe like made notes, like they have a kid named so-and-so. And then it's like, okay, this is the last time I talked to them. I'm gonna send them another email, like two months from now, just to check in and be like, hi, how is every, everything going? Because I mean, look, at the end of the day, if you're a sophomore and you're making connections with alumni then, and you're following up, checking in to see how they're doing, that person's going to remember you. Whereas if you speak to somebody once and then like senior year runs, rolls around, you're like, oh, well, they work at a company that I'm like applied for a job at, or like, I want their advice or something, you know? And like, you hit them up like, oh yeah, like, I kind of remember you. Like we're just not going to be as willing to help you. And that's, that's just kind of the reality of it. Um, yeah. And you got to understand the game too. Cause like, Every, like, everybody knows, like, if you're calling us, you know, like, you, you ideally want a job, right? Not, I mean, not you, but I mean, just, yeah. just in general, when grads are talking to students, like they know what the student's game is. And I think being a little more subtle about it and kind of getting to know the people first is, is something that's quite important. Um, and, you know, everybody likes to hear themselves talk for the most part. So like, just ask them tons of questions about what they're doing, um, be a personable person. And I don't think networking is gonna be too hard.
0: Yeah. That was, that was really good advice. (laughs) Um, my last question is where can students reach out and connect with you?
1: Yeah. So, um, people can just like reach me, reach me on LinkedIn. Um, probably the easiest, um, just, I think Daniel Abrams might be Dan Abrams. If you search RT specialty, comma Abrams, I'm going to pop up, or St. Lawrence, uh, it's really not that hard. I think LinkedIn is a tool that people, like, obviously, I know Career Services is going to be pushing it. I don't think people utilize it as much as it could be utilized, because, I mean, you can really go through, and you can see everybody from St. Lawrence that works at whatever company you want that's in whatever city you want to work in. Um So even just like reaching out, you know, most of the time, you're not going to want to know, you know, you don't know what you want to do with your career, but you know, you can just attend the networking sessions. I think, I think that's a good start. And I know like they do SLU Connect DC, like New York. I know that there are a lot of alums, like I'll be participating in the next SLU Connect New York whenever that's a thing. (laughs) Um, And I'd like, we, like, we want to talk and we want to help people, but like, we want to talk and help people that are like being proactive and are doing it for the right reasons. Um, But yeah, so I mean anybody can feel free to reach out to me. Uh, My office is actually going to be hiring somebody in my position in like a month or so. So I've actually kind of already started to put out some feelers. But if there are any like seniors listening to this who want to have a conversation and kind of learn a little bit more about what we do and just kind of get to know each other a little more, I'm happy to have a conversation
0: with anybody. That's awesome. That's a good opportunity. Anyone listening?
1: I hope there's somebody listening.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I, there must be at least like a couple people that made it to the end.
1: <laughs> yeah. No, gotta love that. I think, so the one last thing I would want to just like talk about briefly is just recruiting in general. Cause I know I kind of glossed that over. And there are a ton of slew kids that go into recruiting. And I just see that from like people that I know that like are on LinkedIn now, like looking, like, like, like looking for jobs as a recruiter. Yeah. <laughs> um, I would, I would just advise like it can be a great stepping stone. Like you really in that job have to pound the phones and you have to be like a very good communicator and like a good reader of people. So you get a lot of good skills, but you have to be very careful about where you go because there are a lot of startup recruitment companies that are not very functional, like the one that I worked for. And I'm like confident in saying this because I know that if they sued me for defamation, I would countersue them because I have more than enough witnesses to back me up. But I was where I went in Hamlin Williams, the first day they were just like, here, get on the phone. And to preface this, it wasn't recruiting where they have jobs and like they're like, okay, here, go find some candidates for these jobs. It was, no, we don't have any jobs. You have to go get some jobs, and you're gonna get that by calling candidates and having them give you leads to jobs, which then you're gonna go out and get the jobs and then place the candidates for. And like, I have no idea what I'm doing. So they just put me on the phone and it, it was great experience in the sense of like, okay, like I was calling like MD level people and cold calling them and then bullshitting them, pardon my French, to thinking that I had anything to contribute of value, which I didn't, and then meeting them in person, which is where they really realized that I probably didn't have that much to contribute in value. Um, but I was getting the meetings and that was something that I brought up in the interview here uh, for in my current job, where I was saying like, like I, I'm able to do this and you know, I am. But you know you want to be careful. It wasn't it wasn't a functional work environment. My uh, my director got caught doing cocaine in the office after hours with some other senior people at the company, and that was kind of when I my wake up call to uh, to get out. Um, But you you just gotta you gotta remember that it's the real world. Like we're all adults. Everybody has their own issues going on underlying the scenes. Like a lot of people, they love to present like they're doing great and everything's great at work. Um, But you just have to be wary and kind of have have that fifth sense going with sometimes with some of these some of these people and some of these companies. You know, you you just don't want to work there. Or if you do, you want to get in, get the experience that you can, and get out before you get burned or before you get fired.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Thank you for uh, for talking about that. That's kind of crazy. They just threw you right in like that. Yeah. It was. It was. Um, it was, I mean, I was very
1: lucky that I had a colleague that actually like really helped me out and was like, kind of took it upon himself to be my manager. Um, and like, I wouldn't have survived without him. It was, uh, it was quite, it was quite a dysfunctional business, but (laughs) that's, that's why you leave. And I think if I had to leave people with like one last thing, it's like, especially if you have multiple offers, don't go for the place that's like necessarily going to offer you the most money, unless that's like the biggest thing you're looking for go with the place that like you feel good about and like you think you'll fit in with. I had, when I went to RT Specialty, I could have gone to another recruiting company, which was very good, but I just didn't want to recruit anymore. Or I could have gone to UBS Wealth Management um, over in Weehawken. And when I interviewed there and I I met the people, I just didn't feel like I, that was my kind of scene. And I, I just, I didn't feel like I would it was it was the place for me whereas when I I met with this team I was like okay like this is like a nice close knit team like this is somewhere where I'm going to be happy um yeah so I think that's something that like don't underestimate like don't don't take a job that you hate just because somebody says it's a good job or uh or you think you want it you know or if you do do it don't think that you're you're stuck in that for uh forever you know just keep an open mind I would say yeah
0: that's so huge I feel like that the atmosphere is definitely a big indicator of whether or not, like, you'll be happy there.
1: I mean, these are the people you work with, like, every day. I mean, especially, I mean, you're working a lot. Like, it's nice, like, that I'm able to call, like, my colleague Karen. And, and like, before we get into work stuff, like, we can just kind of chat for 10 minutes about, like, whatever's happening. Like, it's, it's nice. Like, it's, it's nice to like the people that you work with and genuinely care for them as opposed to where you're just kind of working somewhere and like it, it, everybody's different and everybody's looking for something different and that's that's kind of what I stress is no even if you don't know what you want be thinking about these things because if if your boss if the person interviewing you seems kind of mean to like the people around him well then that person's probably going to be kind of mean to you when you're working there you know yeah. and you kind of if you if that's okay with you like, kudos to you go for it you know but it's just something to be aware of
0: yeah well, that's
1: kind of all I had. I don't know if you had anything else, but. Yeah, I, I've like, I talked myself the uh, horse. <laughs> yeah, you
0: you me, have a lot of good things to say. I, I appreciate
1: that. I feel like, not that nobody listens to me, but like nobody wants to listen to me <laughs> talk about this, at least to my friends.
0: Well, this <laughs> they've is all, they've
1: all, Yeah, they've all heard the horror stories, um. But no, I think, like, I think this podcast is like, honestly, like, just yes, a great thing. I mean, if anything, for your own personal development, like, you are going to be a very polished speaker in a few years where, like, you're going to feel comfortable hopping on a Zoom or meeting and getting coffee with anybody in any position and, like, just seeming confident. And, like, that's, I think, the biggest thing that, like, kind of Sue gives you is just, like, seeming like a competent, good, personable person. Yeah. Um, I think that's what we do really well.